Welcome to episode 76 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 76 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. I have some exciting news. What is your exciting news? Let me pretend like I don't know. (laughs) Well, we've been talking about this for, I don't know, months that I was going to have a second podcast that I I go out on my own and I'm staying with the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I could never leave this one. But in addition to this one, I would like to have a second podcast where I talk to different intermittent fasters, just me and a a person who's an intermittent faster, just out in the real world, living the lifestyle. And I have been so intimidated by the technical side of things. Can I just tell you? Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, like like so scared of it all. Like I have been playing with, you know, GarageBand and Audacity and all these different editing software and trying to read about it and figure out what do I have to do and there's so many technical things to it. So, like I got this book, Podcasting for Dummies, and so I was reading it. Like the like the yellow Yes, it's one of those in the For Dummies series. So I was reading it. And you know how those books are supposed to teach you? So by the time you're done, you don't feel like a dummy. Mm -hmm. The more I read, the dumber I felt. Oh, no. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. So as I was reading it, I was like, and then, you know, you start going down the rabbit hole. It's like, well, who's going to post it as far as like what company and how am I going to record the audio and how am I going to edit it? And then there's companies that, anyway, all of a sudden I had like a, like a thought. I was like, I'm just going to find a company that does this for you, a podcast production company. I'm going to hire them. So I did. So I have found a company that is going, I'm working with them and we're setting it all up and getting everything going. And they're going to manage all the technical part and the editing. And all I'm going to have to do is interview people (laughs) and talk to them. And so um, we have a tentative release date of November 1st for the first podcast. So I'm not going to tell everybody the name of it yet. I want to keep it a secret until um, the website's set up and everything is ready to go. But I'm just thrilled that finally I figured out a way to make this happen where I am not the person who's going to have to do all the technical stuff because, Melanie, I don't know how you do it all. Melanie's our technical guru for this podcast. And, um, yeah, so – it's crazy. <laughs> a lot goes into to creating a podcast for sure. A lot. I, you have no idea. I didn't realize until I started reading and thinking about all the different parts and just – I was like, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to mess it up. It's going to be awful. Yeah, I didn't – before I started the podcast, I didn't realize how much work it would take. Right. <laughs> it's basically like a part-time job. Hours-wise, oh, yeah. that's what it comes that, – that's what it works out to be. So – yeah, it's kind of crazy, but I love doing it. It's fun. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you love doing it, and I'm glad I still don't have to know how, and I'm glad that I can pay somebody to do it. So that's exciting right there. So I'm I'm really thrilled that it's going to happen, and um, I've been talking about it and thinking about it for months, but uh, finally it's all coming together. Congratulations. Thank you. It's very exciting. It is very, very exciting. So we will – you know, I'll have the new one that'll come out every Thursday, um, show name to be released later. And then every Monday, you'll continue to get new episodes of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. So twice a week, you'll get some gin <laughs> and gin and Melanie every Monday as you're used to. Perfect. That's so exciting. Yeah, it really is. Well, let me know if you have any questions along the way. Oh, I, I really might. 
<laughs> it is possible. I got you covered. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, did you have anything to share? I just told my news. What do, do you have anything going on? Um, basically just still that the, that the audiobook of What When Wine is coming out October 16th. So that's exciting. And then when very that very soon, very yeah. soon. And when that is available to pre-order, I will put a link up and I will let people know as soon as possible. Oh, also I did finally find out for all of the listeners in the UK. So my book, it, it's been on pre-order forever and I don't know why it keeps getting pushed back. I don't really understand how that process works with the publisher there. Um, but they told me now officially October, it will be good to go. So like it says that it's, it says the pre-order availability, I believe now is in October. It should actually happen in October. So for all of the UK listeners who have been pre-ordering since January and December, I'm so sorry. It is coming. I don't know why it's taking so long. I've been emailing my agent like every week being like, where is the UK version? Um, So I think it's finally happening. And then um, last thing I will mention, we talked about this last episode, but we have set up a Patreon account for the podcast. And for listeners, if they'd like to check that out, that is a way that you can help support the podcast speaking so speaking of how much time it takes to to produce this podcast um but we have provided some various fun little incentives there so if you go there you can pledge basically different amounts per month to help support the podcast and we have fun little things like shout outs on our website but then also things like guaranteed answering your question on the podcast as well as phone calls with jen and i so definitely check that out. You can go to patreon.com slash IF podcast, and that's where you can do that. So it's definitely something to consider. All right. Shall we get started? Yes. And we have some feedback from Nita, which goes along with something we talked about on another episode. And Nita says, hello again, Melanie and Jen. I am catching up and listening to episode 71. In this episode, you are comparing each of your favorite nuts and least favorite nuts. Jen told Melanie, about red pistachios, and Melanie mentioned how cashews are a seed inside fruit. That got me curious, so I looked up the cashews. The first picture I clicked came from an article, so I clicked on the article, and to my surprise, coincidentally, it covered both subjects in one article. So there is an article there, and uh, Melanie will link that in the show notes. And she said, I just thought it was a funny coincidence why cashews are not sold to consumers in their shells. And then she share some information about that. She said cashews are a member of the same family as poison ivy. That is so interesting. And like poison ivy and many other members of that family, part of the cashew plant contains an oily chemical. Now I'm going to try to say this called baruchiol. I don't know, which is a strong irritant for most people and can even be fatal for some if ingested. Also, I finally started my intermittent fasting this past Tuesday. I call it IF5, which is typically two to seven, but I can shift as I go to events. Been great so far. Love you both, Nita. And Nita, I love that because, see, I I knew there was a reason not to trust those cashews. It's funny. I knew, I always <laughs> knew there was something like slightly ominous about the cashew plant. Like, I, I just knew there was something about it, um, but I didn't know what it was. Now I know. Now we know. Yep. So um, we'll link to that in the show notes. And now y'all all know the secret. Melanie will be the one linking to that in the show notes. <laughs> no, now, I don't know how to do now that. Now for everything you're going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is I thought I was technically savvy. I can do a lot of things, but man, oh man, I am apparently not. <laughs> it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty, so we do have one more sort of listener feedback email slash question, but this comes from Kristen, and the subject is 5-2 fasting, question mark, and Kristen says, Hi, thank you for such a great podcast. I've learned a great deal and have had slow but good progress. The biggest health benefit that I have received from living this lifestyle is that my extremely uncomfortable and frequent perimenopausal hot flashes have completely disappeared. Is that something you have encountered with other people? My question is about a recent episode where someone asked if there is any way to maintain the IF lifestyle and still be able to go out to breakfast with friends and family on the weekends. 
When I initially heard this question, I immediately thought that you would suggest 5-2 intermittent fasting, where you eat five days of the week and fast two days of the week, or 4-3 intermittent fasting as a way that she could continue to do IF but have it work into her preferred lifestyle. Neither of you suggested it, and so it made me wonder if you have discounted 5-2 and 4-3 as a legitimate way to do IF. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks so much, Kristen. And before we answer this, that reminds me of another announcement I have <laughs> um, with all the five, two, four, three, all the things. So a listener wrote in and, and asked if we could have a an intermittent fasting dictionary on our website where we basically have all these phrases that we kind of throw around all the time that that newer listeners might not be familiar with, like five, two, four, three one meal a day, and then just like other things we talk about like keto and paleo and just everything. So I made that. (laughs) Yay! So if you go to ifpodcast.com and then you go to the about tab, underneath there it says intermittent fasting dictionary. And that's my little dictionary (laughs) that I started making. Um, And I would love suggestions for words and concepts and phrases to add to that. So feel free to send us any of those and I will definitely add it to that as well. The direct link is ifpodcast.com slash intermittent dash fasting dash dictionary. But um, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 76. Well, I love Kristen's question, and actually, no, I do not discount 5, 2, and 4, 3 at all. I have a chapter on um, this approach. It's called the up or down day approach or up and down day approach to intermittent fasting. I have a chapter on that in Delay, Don't Deny because it's an approach that I have used in the past, and I know a lot of people use it successfully, and it's actually an approach I recommend to people sometimes when they have certain situations going on. So let me explain how I have used 5-2 and 4-3 in the past and when I would recommend it to other people specifically. Although Kristen is right that it would be a solution for somebody who um, wanted to have an all-day eating event once or twice a week, something like that. So with 5-2 and 4-3, for me, I used 5-2 one whole summer, and I tell this in my diet story in um, Delay Don't Deny as well. I used 5-2 for maintenance one summer, the whole summer. Knowing what I know about fasting, I wanted to reap all the benefits of fasting. So I, on the two days that are the fasting days, I did full fasts. So I would wake up on that morning, not eat, just you know do a clean fast all day, go to bed, still not eating. And then the next day, would be an up day, and I would just eat normally however I felt like it. So five days a week, I just ate normally like a normal person, not an intermittent faster. And then two days a week, I chose Monday and Thursday. I didn't eat at all. I just woke up, didn't eat, went to bed. That was it. And so that worked great for me for maintenance. I know a lot of people can lose weight on that plan, but it was not a a weight loss plan for me. It it was, like I said, a maintenance plan. And then I also experimented with 4-3, at one point trying to lose weight. And so I had three days that were considered fasting days. And so I would I chose Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday for the, the days I wanted to use. So I didn't eat on Sunday. I didn't eat on Tuesday. I didn't eat on Thursday. And the other days I was free to eat however I wanted. Well, for me, that uh, I did lose weight on 4-3. But for me, I, it started to feel like too much fasting. Now, technically, in the way that um, five, the 5-2 diet was designed, you can actually have... 500 calories on those down days and um, how you spread them out is up to you. It ends up really, if you're if you're eating a 500 calorie a day plan on those down days, if you're the kind of person who likes to spread it out over the whole day, like you eat a little tiny breakfast and a little tiny lunch and a little tiny dinner, not to be more than 500 calories, I really think that is more like calorie cycling instead of fasting. So for me, even though that type of a plan, 5, 2, and 4, 3, even though that's called intermittent fasting, I don't think the days when you're eating 500 calories spread out over a long period of time would technically you know, count as fasting. It's more, like I said, calorie cycling, but it's a legitimate approach. For me, it made more sense. I wanted to get the benefits from actually fasting, so I, I fasted all day. You could also choose to have all of your you know, 500 calories in one meal if you wanted to do that. So you could do a 4, 3 plan where three days a week, you have 500 calories in one meal at some point during the day, and the rest of the time you're fasting. So you would get benefits of fasting. And again, 
the whole research behind the these plans, like alternate daily fasting, which you would actually do every other day, not just three days, but literally every other day, putting you on a different schedule every week. The point is that the feast days, the up days, keep your metabolism upregulated. And then the lower days where you're eating the 500 calories or choosing to do a full fast like I did, those days, you know, you're, you're not eating. So it, it ends up being um, metabolically good for your body. And there's lots of research on those plans. So why don't I do this plan myself anymore? Well, I started to dread the fasting days and I started to dread the eating days, believe it or not. Because so that's no fun. <laughs> Well, the eating days felt like too much food and I was sluggish. And the fasting days, I was just like, I want to eat. But, you know, by the time dinner rolled around and I wasn't eating, I was like, anyway, and I couldn't sleep. I don't sleep well on down days. I need to eat sufficiently. So for me, it was not the right kind of plan for me. But I would still recommend it to some people. And people who feel like they may have um, a metabolism that is slow, a metabolism that has slowed down, maybe excessive dieting, or maybe you got, you know, hooked into the extended fasting world and you've been doing like really, really extended fasts and now you just are gaining weight like crazy. Something like an alternate daily fasting or 4-3 approach could help your body metabolically. So um, the key is you really need to feast on those up days. So I would recommend it for someone in that type of situation who's really working on, you know, boosting your metabolic rate try an approach like that, but really make sure that you're not dieting on the up days. That's the key for it to all work. Because if you eat 500 calories, you know, three days a week, and then also diet a lot four other days, you're just really falling into a, you know, a calorie restriction plan. The key is you don't want that to happen. So do you have anything you want to add about 5-2 and 4-3, Melanie, or alternate daily fasting? Just that... (laughs) Just that whenever 5-2 and 4-3 and all those things come up, I just kind of like Jen will take this one because I, ne- <laughs> I never really like subscribe to any of those plans. They just seemed really complicated. And then like you, I, the idea of eating, I, like I would rather just eat everything at once. Like the, the idea of eating smaller amounts throughout the day is just really miserable for me. Like that just makes me really yeah, hungry. And, yeah. It was really hard for me. The reason I did a full fast when I was when I was doing four three is because it was harder for me to stop at five hundred calories. You know, I want to eat a meal, and I wasn't full. And five hundred calories was just enough to wake up my appetite, and then I would be starving and go to bed unsatisfied. It was actually easier to go to bed eating nothing <laughs> than having a five hundred calorie meal and stopping. So it it wasn't a pattern that that I enjoyed. But listen, I don't discount it because I know of lots of people who prefer it. They like it. Their body responds well to it. So do not listen to me and say, well, it didn't work for Jen. It's not going to work for me. That's not true. There are thousands and thousands of people all around the world who do great with these plans, and it works really well, and they love the up-day, down-day approach. Yeah, and I will say that when we were addressing the listener's question about what to do about the weekends, I guess it, I didn't automatically recommend 5-2 or 4-3, but I do think one of the things I talked about doing was just not fasting basically on some of those days, which is sort of like a similar concept, you know, like the idea of yeah. having some days taking yeah. a day off. So yeah. I definitely think that that's a um, a viable option for some people. Absolutely. Oh, and I wanted to go back to what Kristen said about perimenopause and menopausal um, symptoms. She talked about hot flashes. You know, I don't know if I've talked about it on the on the air or not. I'm not sure. If I mentioned that I'm in perimenopause, no. Well, I'm I'm 49, so I'm in perimenopause. You know, I think this is an age that a lot of women go through it. And really, you know, I've had a few hot flashes here and there, but really, I'm kind of sailing through it. So, knock on wood. But um, yeah, this is this is definitely something that I have heard before. Women who are menopausal or postmenopausal do find that intermittent fasting can help. I mean, is it going to stop all of your symptoms? No. I've had hot flashes and I've been in perimenopause probably for a couple years. So maybe not, a, maybe just a year. I don't know. It's hard to say. But um, things definitely do change over time when you're in your, what you know, whatever age it happens for you. For me, like I said, I'm 49. So it's it's to be expected. But really, it's it's kind of going well. I haven't had the hot flashes recently. That's good. 
it is good because they really are no fun. You know, I remember being younger and hearing the older ladies of my family talking about it. And you really wake up and you are just like so sweaty. It's, it's very interesting. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> All right. Shall we jump into listener yes. questions? We have one from Ola. And the subject is experimenting. And Ola says, hello, my new favorite women. I've come across your podcast recently when I was doing some research on intermittent fasting. And not only I've fallen in love with your knowledge, but also personalities. I'm very eager to try IF, but am hesitant about whether it would impact my grades, exam results, etc. since it's my final year in high school. And from the very beginning, I always left my house with a stomach full of breakfast. Do you recommend trying it anyway because I will get used to easily? Or do you find it irresponsible to experiment when it's a very intense period of studying? I work out after school trying to hit the gym three times a week if it has anything to do with your answer. Hope I get an answer. If not, we'll carry on doing research. Have a wonderful day. If you're reading this, I am probably listening to your other episode. All right. What do you say to Ola? All righty, Ola. Well, thank you so much for your question. So I guess first thing to address, Jen, is this what you're going to say, that we don't, we don't really advocate intermittent fasting for high schoolers? It depends on your age and whether you've gone through puberty. Yeah, she could be 18. If you're 18, you could be in high school. I guess just – I just want to emphasize that we're not saying, you know, if you're 15 that you should necessarily be doing Correct. intermittent fasting. Just to Correct. just to get that off the yes. table. So and then we can just move on from that and just address this question in general, which I think is basically the the idea of should you try intermittent fasting when you have something, you know, that's going to require a lot of you know, something intense that's gonna require like brain power and brain energy, is that really the time to start intermittent fasting? Which I think is a pretty pretty interesting question that we haven't had before. Yeah, and we really we haven't had it, no. So I, I've been thinking about this question a lot, actually. And um, so my, th- my thoughts are that, I, yes, I, I think intermittent fasting would be a great thing to try because ultimately it really is, I believe, going to boost your brain power, going to boost your productivity, and going to really give you that that mental sear once you once you get into like once your body adapts to it and once it works for you so that's the thing the thing is there might be a no pun intended learning curve <laughs> for jumping into intermittent fasting <laughs> and it's really going to be a personal thing it's going to depend on you on where you're coming from diet wise on how your body responds and so you know it could be that it just takes a couple days and you're amazing and your studying is that you become more productive and you feel even and studying becomes even easier or you know it might take you a little bit longer and you're going to deal with blood sugar swings and crashes and feel a little bit foggy and you know it might take a few you know a few weeks to adjust and so it's really up to you if you want to you know try that so what i would suggest i would say yes try it um maybe try it when i mean so for ola she's talking about just in general like her it's her whole year like it's the whole year that's important but i'm sure at some point there's maybe like a time maybe when you have you know you have a few days like right before a weekend or something where you do know that it'll be okay if you're not exactly quote on point (laughs) um you know start when you have like a little bit of a cushion and then write it out and see what happens and you know if if you're if you go a week and you're just like not adapting, it's just not working for you and it's really messing with your grades or messing with things, then I mean, that's okay. You know, you can try it again later, but I think it will probably work for you pretty quickly and you'll probably see that. And I mean, you can also, um, you can catalyze the transition a lot of different ways. So, I mean, I don't want you to become like a coffee junkie if you're not already, but um, if you're doing like a one meal a day intermittent fasting pattern, you can try, you know, having some caffeine during your window, having some coffee and really get your brain going that way. So getting your brain going other ways um, that will ensure that you're productive and able to do what you need to do and really blast through that transition as you become a fat burner and used to running on body fat rather than your last meal. So yeah, what what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think you I think you went into that pretty well. You know, I was going to say you probably wouldn't want to start the week of final Yeah, that would probably not be the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) 
or if you had like a big test coming up that week. I don't know. Um, you know, it made me really think, you know, when is there a perfect time? And we've always got stuff going on. So if you, you know, try to delay it for that perfect time, they may never be a perfect time <laughs> to start. To that point, it's like, oh, well, maybe you should do it right before, you know, like a holiday or something. But then on the holidays is typically when there's lots of food. So food. it's like, eh, right. maybe not. I think maybe maybe like when there's a long weekend, like you have a Monday off. There you go. That would be a better way, a better idea. But I mean, you don't have to jump right in and go straight to one meal a day. I certainly didn't. Even, you know, for months, I, I didn't go straight to one meal a day. I was still eating two meals for a, a long time. So just start by skipping breakfast. You know, I remember when I was in high school, I don't think I really ate breakfast because I just would get up and go to school. I never even, I mean, I didn't really like breakfast foods a lot. Like I, Usually people were eating things like cereal or sweet things. Yeah, I, I don't like those things. I never did like them for breakfast. So rather than, you know, eat a bowl of cereal, I just wouldn't have anything at all. So I, the first meal I ate would, was probably like lunch at school. And I don't think I ate very much of that either. But um, just, you know, listen to your body. If you can skip breakfast, skip it and go to school and um, have lunch. And gradually start pushing it back. As I said, though, as we said at the beginning, assuming that you have finished going through puberty and you're grown and you're 18 and that sort of thing, we definitely do not recommend intermittent fasting for still developing bodies just because nutritional needs are different for a growing and developing body than they are for a body that's already grown and developed. So that that's just a very important distinction. You know, both of my sons are, um, they're, they're, over the age of 18, and both of them incorporate intermittent fasting into their lives to one degree or another. So I, I feel confident that when you're when you're older, an older teen, that it that it's okay. Yep. All right. I think those are great, great suggestions. So let us know, Ola, if you tried it by now, because this was a while ago. <laughs> so let us know. All right. Time for another question from Sarah. The subject is, do I need to change my diet and bone broth fast? So she's got two questions, and the first says, hey, gals, two questions. Number one, I don't feel bad after I eat foods. I don't feel bad after eating dairy or wheat or bacon or anything. Am I oblivious to some issue, or am I really fine to eat everything? I hear about people eliminating dairy and feeling so much better, but I already feel great. And question two, I heard about someone doing a bone broth fast where they only had bone broth for 24 hours. I know this doesn't count as fasting, but I'm curious to know if you have thoughts on doing a bone broth fast once in a while. Thanks. Love, love, love the podcast, Sarah. All right, Sarah. So thank you for your question. I love her questions. So the first question, I was like, this is such a wonderful question. So basically, Sarah is asking, so she's eating... She's doing her thing and she's not experiencing any issues. So should she change? Like should she try eliminating dairy or wheat or she says bacon? Um, so I'm, – and I'm really curious to hear what you're going to say about this, Jen. Oh, I already know we're going to disagree. I just feel <laughs> it. Go ahead. <laughs> so I will start by saying that – a lot of people think that the only indicator of how food is affecting them is going to be GI distress. So, you know, if you're not experiencing bloating or pain after meals or constipation or diarrhea or something like that, then then food is working for you and that, you know, changing your food habits wouldn't affect anything. So I will say growing up, I didn't really have any GI distress after food, not anything evident. So I could really eat basically anything and be good. Like um, the food didn't like linger in me from what I, I didn't experience like IBS type symptoms or anything like that. So I didn't think food really related to anything. That said, I had really bad acne. I was always like constantly hungry. I would get headaches. I mean, just in general, like I thought it was just normal to get headaches. So I'd get, you know, headaches like once a week or so, and I thought that was normal. I just had a lot of, you know, general signs of inflammation, and I didn't think it was at all really related to food. And when I started looking at my food choices, especially in college and making changes, that's when I started seeing things get better that I didn't even know were a problem, really. 
until they were not a problem anymore. And it was like, oh, okay, wow. I would say it doesn't hurt to try eliminating things that could potentially be problematic for people. So you don't even have to see it as eliminating something. You know, you don't have to see it as I'm going to cut out these things and, and focus on that. Instead, you can try what happens out of curiosity if I only eat, you know, healthy pastured meats, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, oils like olive oil, coconut oil. What happens out of curiosity if I do that and I don't eat, you know, some of the things that are often inflammatory for people like dairy and wheat and um, processed foods? There's no hurt in trying it and just seeing what happens. You know, try it for a couple of weeks. You can still have delicious, amazing meals, delicious food. And if you feel completely the same and nothing changes and you've, and like nothing changes in your life health wise and you don't see any benefits, then okay, you tried it. Now you know, like (laughs) no harm, no harm done. Um, So yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So basically my thoughts are, GI distress right after eating is not an indicator that the food is not doing some harm. I mean, I don't see any harm in trying an approach which does eliminate potentially inflammatory foods and just see if you see any changes. I personally think you'll probably see amazing benefits. I remember when I first went paleo, I was like, this is not going to change anything because I was already low carb and intermittent fasting. So I was like, this is not like... I'm already doing intermittent fasting. I'm already eating one meal a day. I've already cut out sugar. I had, I had already cut out sugar and grains. So for me, it was really just cutting out processed foods. And I honestly did not think it would make any difference. But I just did it because I'm the type that likes to experiment and try things. And I never stopped. And it was so amazing. And I was like, oh, this is why people do this. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, um, I just have to say from my own experience... I would say, Sarah, if you feel good, don't change anything. (laughs) I would say, I I don't think there's a need to change. I think, you know, I remember when we talked to Dr. Ruscio and he talked about gut and and problems and how he used to think that more things needed to be eliminated by more people until he started realizing that people really were all different. Like, you know, we've got this list of foods that are, quote, inflammatory, and some people think they're inflammatory for everybody, but then he realized – really this list was different for different people. You know, some some people have dairy as an inflammatory food and some people have no problem with dairy. For me, I have no problem with dairy. I have no problem with wheat. You know, you listed bacon, believe it or not. Um, Sarah, out of the three things you listed, the one that bothers me the most out of those three is bacon. If I eat too much bacon, I can tell that my inflammation is up. That's the beauty of intermittent fasting, though. Over time, it has showed me what does not work as well for my body. And I can just feel I get puffy. I might have a stomach ache. I might feel yucky. And and I think that over time, you'll figure that out for yourself. So I would not suggest starting with eliminating things. I would suggest continue to listen to your body over time. And it may surprise you. Like I never would have thought bacon felt made me feel bad until I started making that connection over time. And I realized that it did. I mean, I'm even, I'm not just talking about, you know, processed gross bacon. I'm talking about high quality organic bacon. Even that makes my stomach hurt. Um, I have to say, I have bought into all the different elimination things over the years and tried them all before I discovered intermittent fasting and before it worked for me. Like I can remember, um, I read Mary Lou Henner's book. It was years ago. This was probably 2000, 2001, around there. I can't remember, but her book was the first book that made me ever think about dairy. She was like solidly on the no one should ever have dairy train. So um, I can't remember all the things she wanted you to eliminate, but one of the things was dairy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dairy. I must have a problem with dairy too. So I eliminated dairy um, after reading her book and I didn't feel better. (laughs) I didn't feel different at all. So I added it back and I feel fine. And um, interestingly, my 23andMe results showed I'm part of the small percentage of people in the world who is not likely to have a problem with dairy. That does mean that a lot of people do have a problem with dairy, and it's legitimately a problem probably for the majority of the people in the world, but not for me. And so, um, you know, I've also experimented with giving up wheat after I read Wheat Belly when that came out. I was like, I'm going to go gluten-free. Surely this will solve all of my problems. 
I didn't feel any better. It didn't didn't make any difference for me at all. So I have actually tried every possible way of eating over the years. And the only thing that makes me feel better is intermittent fasting and then paying attention to the foods within my eating window. I do feel better without a lot of processed food. That's true. I do feel better without a lot of heavy, fatty, meaty things. That's true. But as far as the real foods, I can eat eat the rest of those things, no trouble. So I really do suggest that you listen to your body and pay attention to it over time, and you'll get better and better at figuring it out, what works for you and what doesn't. Okie dokie. So I do have some follow-up thoughts and questions <laughs> just really okay. quickly. First of all, yeah. So our interview with Dr. Rousseau was so amazing. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Really amazing. It was surrounding you know, reactions to food and food fears and all the things. I do believe that a lot, he thinks that a lot of people can benefit from trying an approach which does cut out potentially problematic things. But then his mindset is that you'll see if you're reacting to something. And then ultimately, his idea is to get people to the point where they can tolerate more foods. And he doesn't think everybody needs to be long term on a restrictive diet because he wants people to eat the broadest amount of foods possible. I just wanted to point that out because I, I think he does advocate for a short term elimination diet to pinpoint if a food is problematic. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize. Like I'm not saying that I'm not saying long term that everybody needs to be on a restricted diet. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying I think a lot of people could benefit from an experimentation trial where they do cut out all the things that could potentially be problematic because then they can introduce them one at a time and see how it affects them. And that's something else I want to emphasize. I was hearing a podcast interview the other day where um, they were talking to somebody and she was saying that she tried cutting out soy and didn't see any difference. So then she tried cutting out dairy and didn't see any difference. But it wasn't until she cut out soy and dairy that she saw a difference because it, they were both a problem. And so just, just cutting out one thing at one time didn't make any apparent difference because there was still something inflammatory in her diet for her. So that's why I think it can be beneficial, even though it sounds more restrictive, that's why I think it can be beneficial to try an approach where you just kind of sort of hands down eliminate everything, this is temporary, but everything that could potentially be a problem and then reintroducing things one at a time and then you can really know rather than cutting out one thing here and then cutting out one thing there. And see, I just, I, I really, really disagree with that because for example, one of the things that seems to be inflammatory for me is chicken. There is not a single diet, you know, elimination diet that has you eliminate chicken. And so I would have missed that. And so the only reason I know that chicken seems to be inflammatory for me is over time, if I eat a lot of chicken, I can feel my face getting puffy, even if it's organic chicken. Just certain meats, I, I can tell, are a problem for me. And so I've, I think you're, you're going to figure it out over time. And if you're feeling good, you know, don't borrow trouble. <laughs> and, and like, well, I must have a problem to something. I just don't know what it is. I don't even know what my problems are. If you feel great, that's fabulous. I mean, if you're having problems with acne and headaches and all these things, like you mentioned, that you didn't realize, you know, were were related to what you were eating. I mean, you didn't feel great if you were having headaches and lots of acne, right? Well, I mean, I thought I, I thought I was, you know, like okay. I, I didn't really, because I didn't, I didn't associate them together. So in general, I thought it was like great. Just normal. You thought that was normal? Yeah. For example... You talking about chicken being a problem. That's that's the other thing. That's one of the reasons I wrote my book, um, What When Wine, which has a very, very like long, comprehensive overview of basically all the foods. And because honestly, like I am the first person to say that I completely one hundred percent know that we are all so unique and any potential food could be potentially wonderful for you or could potentially be a problem. And it's really like you who have to has to figure that out. That's why I'm so not for having this food is good or bad. This food is good or bad. I'm, I'm just not down for that because I think everybody needs to find what works for them. That's like my main thing. So even though it seems like I'm, I come from like a paleo paradigm. So, oh, that's restrictive. No, I just think that we should eat food and that we have to see how those foods affect us. 
And then, but then that said, I think there are certain types of food categories that tend to be more problematic in general for most people. So that's going to be um, the problematic compounds, the lectin, the gluten, the plant compounds found in grains that are most people's bodies are just not capable of adequately digesting. And then for dairy, especially conventional dairy in America, is um, very replete with growth hormones and the modern manifestation of dairy. There was a genetic change that happened in cow milk actually that made it much more inflammatory for our systems today. So I think there are certain types of foods that are more likely to be problematic and I don't see anything wrong with cutting them out temporarily and just choosing instead foods that are tend to be less problematic and tend to promote health in general and um, taste delicious. So it's not like you're like losing out on, you know, flavor or taste or anything like that and just seeing what happens. I don't see anything wrong with that approach. I was going to ask, so Jen, uh-huh. so like you said recently that you tried cutting out sugar and you realized that it, it was affecting your restless legs. The restless legs. Yeah. Yeah. I actually am feeling so much better now that I'm not having a lot of sugar. Like I can, I can tell a difference with that, but it was because I associated it. I'm really in tune with my body now and I associate it with, um, like I, I'm like, what was different? And I was like, oh, it was because I had, you know, that, what was it I was eating? It was cake. It was this cake. And I'm like, okay, I ate the cake. And then I, I had this issue with the restless legs. So it helped me intermittent fasting. I think it helped me pinpoint that. That's an example where you know, historically maybe sugar was causing problems and you didn't realize it. And so you probably could have benefited, you know, from taking it out. Like you wouldn't, well, you know, and yeah. it took something like an incident for you to realize, oh, maybe this is it. But the the, the thing is, is that like for me, if I had t- gone on a elimination diet, some of the things that were eliminated would not be the things that are actually problems for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And but that's why I'm saying I, I just think it could be a nice – I don't think it hurts anything to try it is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I certainly did try all the elimination things over the years, and that's how I know, you know, what, what's not a problem from trying them here and there. So I can understand being curious and wanting to try, but I would still go by – if you feel great, Sarah, I, I would just keep feeling great. That's that's my advice. All right, how about the rec- the rest of her question? So Sarah would like to know our thoughts on a bone broth fast. Basically, a bone broth fast is where you are just taking in bone broth for you know, like you're having bone broth constantly. So we get a lot of questions about this. It's made from bones, and basically, it pulls all the nutrients out of the bones, and it's full of collagen and minerals and just so many things, and it can really help heal the GI tract. And so a lot of people will do a bone broth fast, especially when it gets colder, and that's where you're just having bone broth constantly throughout the day, and you're just drinking that. It is a food, though, so that's what I'm going to emphasize. So that's not intermittent fasting because you are taking in food, so you're, you're eating. But it's fasting in the sense that you're fasting from other foods. It can be super duper healing. So if you decide to do a bone broth fast, I think there's definitely a time and place for it. And I think a lot of people can see really revolutionary health benefits from it, even if it's, you know, just for a day or, you know, maybe a few days. Yeah, people can see amazing, amazing benefits from it. And especially just for healing the gut lining and something to point out. So the the intestinal cells, they're some of the fastest cells to heal in the body. I think it's like a like a couple days. So doing like a bone broth fast for a couple days could be an amazing way to reset and heal your gut, for example. So it's not intermittent fasting, but I think we can definitely advocate it as an experiment or a a dietary protocol to try. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think you answered that well. You know, it's you even Sarah said the same thing. She knows it's not really actually fasting, you know, just like a juice fast is not really fasting because you're having juice. A bone broth fast isn't really fasting because you're having the bone broth. But if you, um, you know, need the healing that, that bone broth gives you, then that could be definitely something to consider having. Just don't think that it's, it's fasting because it's, it's not, but you're, you're eating the food. That's a specific thing that you're choosing for the purposes that, you know, the benefits that it, that it gives you. It's not intermittent fasting the way we do 
it is fasting from from other foods, but it's not fasting like where you're not taking in food, basically. Right. But speaking of, so if you would like to do a bone broth fast, we've got you covered. (laughs) So we talked before on the podcast about Bonafide Bone Broth, which is an amazing company. So they make organic grass-fed bone broth free of preservatives. They call it perishable on purpose. So you have to keep this bone broth in your freezer and then, you know, thaw it in the fridge because it is going to go bad. It's not shelf stable. They pride themselves on that because that's the way bone broth is basically made to be. So if you want to do a bone broth fast and you don't want to deal with the hassle of making your own bone broth, which you can totally do, I do it, (laughs) but it is, you know, a commitment. If you want to just have it already made, we definitely can recommend that you get Bonafide Bone Broth. It's absolutely amazing. And what's super duper awesome is it's available in stores and online. So you can order it. If you order it and when they ship it, it's really cool. It comes with dry ice. <laughs> so um, I know Jen and I both got some Bonafide Bone Broth when we were first speaking with the company and this box shows up and it's like full of dry ice, which is crazy. Yeah. Oh, and don't touch the dry ice. <laughs> Do not touch the dry ice, says Jen. Yeah, I accidentally touched it and it, it like hurt my finger. <laughs> do not touch the dry ice. Don't do not do that. Oh, but I did learn dry ice. Did you know the box came and then I had to run on an errand and I was like, can I just leave the dry ice in my apartment? Oh, it like evaporates, right? It goes away to nothing. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I Googled it. I was like, I was like, does dry ice melt? No, it skips the liquid stage. Yeah. So it just goes away. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it's it, so it, cool. It, it goes straight from from solid to gas. Yeah, so it doesn't make a mess right anywhere. You're not going to have a puddle of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool though. Yeah. Um but yeah, so if you order Bonafide Bone Broth online, they will ship it to you and it will come with dry ice. And if you do order it online, guess what? 20% off for listeners of our podcast. So just go to bonafideprovisions.com, use the code, so this is the key, use the code IF broth and you will get 20% off. So in general, we love bone broth. You can open your window with it. Um, so I definitely advocate trying bonafide bone broth anyway. But if you want to do, you know, a bone broth fast, I mean, this is, you can stock up and use that coupon. That'll be great. And then if you need even more, you can also get it in stores, which is something Jen and I really love about bonafide. They have it at like all the big stores. Like I see it now. I see it now all the time. I go to the store, like, um, Trader Joe's and Ralph's and I see it and I'm like oh I'm like I know them I know I know me too, me too. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's like my friend like <laughs> yeah it's exciting but um, I I cannot overemphasize enough how great the soups are I'm not a broth sipper <laughs> personally I like soup though the soups have you know the veggie soups that they have are my favorite I mean they've got broth, broth at the base of them but for me I can tell you it's going to be a staple of opening my window all winter long I think a, a cup of one of their soups is going to be just the perfect thing for me. Yeah, they they have a whole amazing line of soups that they did just launch. So you can go to bonafideprovisions.com. You can check out all of their all their broths, all their soups, and definitely use the code IFBROTH to get that 20% off. Can't go wrong. And I'll also put links to all of that in the show notes as well. So that will be ifpodcast.com slash episode 76. So the next question comes from Kara, and the subject is Weight Watchers and IF. And Kara says, Hi, I have done Weight Watchers before and had some success with it. What are your thoughts on Weight Watchers combined with IF? And she says she's doing 18-6. So, Jen, what are your thoughts on Weight Watchers and IF? Does this come up a lot in the groups? Oh, yeah, we do. We do have this come up. And I have so many mixed feelings about this. And really could talk about this for like an hour. Um, I feel very strongly that we have messed ourselves up more than anything else by turning to external guidelines about exactly how much to eat and what to eat. Like, um, you know, you look at animals in the wild and they regulate their food intake normally, no problems. They're not overweight. They're not obese. You don't have to you know, a lion is not going on a calorie-restricted diet. No animals in the wild have to diet. They just know. They stop eating. They eat what's there. They move on. So humans, though, we've gotten to the point where we are, you know, in this constant state of food all around us. And so we've 
we've learned to turn off our internal cues. You know, I talk about this also in Delay, Don't Deny. Think about a baby or a toddler. You know, for anybody who's ever tried to feed a baby or a toddler, when they are hungry, they eat, 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 eat. But when they are full, they stop and you can't make them eat anymore. And that is how our our body is supposed to work. You know, we're supposed to be able to stop eating when we've had enough and our hunger signals are supposed to tell us to eat. But there are many, many reasons in our modern world why that's no longer working. It might be the processed food. It might be your hormones are all out of whack because you're drinking, you know, diet sodas all the time. It might be because you've been counting calories and restricting what you're eating. And I know Weight Watchers is not officially a calorie counting program, but you're counting points. And so you have an external limit of what you're going to eat. So could Weight Watchers successfully work with intermittent fasting? Of course it could. So could calorie counting. So could tracking macros. But my hope for all of you listeners is that you learn how to tune into your body's own signals. So instead of having to eat a certain number of points that somebody else told you was the right number of points for you. Instead, trust that in a six-hour window or a four-hour window or whatever window that you have, your body is going to learn to regulate for yourself and you'll learn to stop eating when you've had enough food. You know, the goal is to be satisfied and not stuffed. I know for me, I've never done Weight Watchers, believe it or not, with all the crazy diets that I did, Weight Watchers was not one of them. But I did do, you know, calorie counting and macro tracking type diets. And I liked to do something called playing with the calories and banking them up and choosing how I could get the most bang for my buck. And even though I didn't do Weight Watchers, I pretty much have a feeling that if I had those things that are zero points, I probably would have been eating those things nonstop. (laughs) Like I would have probably had, you know, 5,000 zero point meals a day just because, well, they're zero points, right? I was always trying to get the most as I could out of those calories, you know. And Did you – I have to ask. <sighs> did you ever eat the Walden Foods brand? You had to have. It was like all the sauces and all the things and they were all, quote, zero calories. It was like chocolate yes, sauce the, and, and caramel. Uh, I would yeah. like eat that, like the whole jar. It was like marshmallow. But they don't taste good. Oh, I thought – No. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You thought they tasted good? They were good enough. I would like I would make them taste better by adding Truvia. Like, you know, like I would like sweeten them up even more and do really weird make really weird concoctions. Yeah. So see, I I just totally anytime I was counting something and you know, like I'm saying, I said I had mixed feelings about this, Cara. So, Cara, you might be a person who's not like me and you're not, you know, trying to manipulate your point or whatever and you're just you're making great choices and you're stopping when you're satisfied and you're not you know trying to manipulate those points so you can eat you know more or less or whatever maybe it would work very well for you it's hard for me to say that I just know that for me any kind of tracking led to me having weird diety behaviors like saving all my calories up and really that's one meal a day but (laughs) I would eat things just because I had some calories left over and I think that, that that happens with people doing Weight Watchers. You're like, well, I still have five points left over. What can I have? And so you're eating to hit a point target instead of eating because you still need more food. So there's a whole lot of power in eating because you're still hungry versus not eating because you're not versus I'm going to eat because I have points left over or I can't eat anymore even though I'm legitimately hungry because I don't have points left over. I don't think our bodies are supposed to have the exact same number of calories or the same exact amount of food day in, day out. I know some days I'm hungrier than other days. And counting anything always made me disconnect from those those signals that my body had. On the days I was hungrier, I would shove those feelings down and suffer because I had eaten all my calories for the day. And on the days that I you know, had eaten enough, but I still had calories left over, I would eat anyway. So I don't know. Yes, it's possible you could make it work really well for you. But my wish for you would be to try it without it. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think you covered that very well. (laughs) I knew you'd be able to. Um, My thoughts are very, very brief. Basically, just in general, I think the the Weight Watchers and all the different dieting concepts, they really contradict the beauty of intermittent fasting because the thing about intermittent fasting is it allows you to lose weight 
and embrace health and everything without any ideas of dieting or restriction. So if, if it works without that, then why, why turn to that, you know? So I would definitely say for anybody, especially in the beginning, try intermittent fasting without anything else and just see how intermittent fasting goes, you know, a la carte by itself. I can sort of see how maybe you want to use something like Weight Watchers. Maybe you've, if you've tried intermittent fasting and you've been doing it for a while and you're the type who wants to take it a step further and you need some sort of like control or, or some sort of system in your food choices, like if you're the type that would work well with having some sort of pattern just to maybe catalyze fat burning even more, then maybe doing something like Weight Watchers all in your window just as like a way to log or see what you're eating. And I'm not saying everybody should do this because I'm not, I'm not in general. I love like what Jen said. I think we should be natural. We should be eating to appetite. We shouldn't have these rules and regulations in place, but maybe there's like a time in your life where you want to try it, you know, just for a few weeks to have some sort of system and see what's going on. I mean, I could see somebody doing that as like an experiment, but I don't want it to become a a gateway to calorie counting restriction and a, a negative mindset around food. So that's a big, huge caveat. So in general, I say, no, <laughs> don't really, don't combine it, but I can see where you, you might want to. Um, but in general, everything that Jen said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we just, we, we hope that y'all could find the same freedom that we have found because I never felt free when I was tracking exactly what I was eating or trying to manipulate it to fit into some kind of a number, whether it's points or whether it's calories, you're giving control to something that's external of your body and, and trying to fit in, you know, and, and I also, I would make terrible choices. Like, like Melanie said, with that Walden zero calorie stuff, I would choose it just because it was free or zero instead of eating something that my body would see as food, like, you know, some spinach. The thing is I would eat that Walden stuff like so much. I bet my body adapted to extract extract calories from it. The gut microbiome probably somehow. Well, I mean, you know, those zero calorie things are not really zero calorie either. Like I remember this butter spray that I used to use back in the, the day of the fat-free, I guess. It was like some kind of fat-free butter spray. It wasn't really butter. It was like butters in quotes with one T and a, the R is backwards. Oh, I mean, you know, it's not really butter. <laughs> no, I made that up. But you know what I mean. But it was like one of those, I can't believe anyone thinks this is butter kind of sprays. So it's called, it claimed it had zero calories, but that was like, it said for like a 0.2 second spray. I mean, who even uses that much, right? So they could get away with saying it had no calories because it's like an amount that is so small you wouldn't really actually use that little bit. By the time you go, you spray, 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 it probably has like lots of calories. Yeah, that's what they do for a lot of a lot of like oils and seasonings and stuff at the store. They'll right. say they're like no carbs or no no calories, but it's because by by the limits they can say that by like the government regulations. Yeah. It's sneaky. Sneaky. It is. It really is. So it says, you know, zero carbs, but it really has 0.4 or whatever. And by the time you eat half of the package, you've really had a lot. <laughs> anyway, that, that always trapped me up because when I thought something was free, I went crazy with it. But not anymore. Now I eat till I've had enough and I stop. And that's just so beautiful. I wish that for everyone. All righty. So I think that's all we have time for for today. This was a great Great episode, Jen. I think so too. I think it was. <laughs> so a few things for listeners before we go. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 76, like I said, that's where we will have show notes for today's episode. So all the information about everything. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all of the stuff that we like, all the, the books, the supplements, all the things. So definitely check that out. You can also sign up for our email list on our website so you will get notifications and fun stuff about the podcast. You can also, like I said, go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast and that's where you can help support our podcast even if it's donating, donating, you know, like a dollar a month or more. But we do have some fun incentives like getting your questions on the podcast and doing phone calls with Jen and or myself. If you're in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and you'll get it downloaded automatically each week. You won't even have to do anything. While you're in iTunes, if you'd like to write a brief review, that would be super duper awesome. We would really appreciate that. 
And then you can also check out our books. I have What When Wine, Jen Has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear. We also have audiobooks versions of Delay, Don't Deny, which is out, and then of What When Wine, which is soon to be out. Um, You can check all that out on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And again, if you would like to write a brief review on Amazon, it really helps just so much. Like every time I see a new review of my book, it just like makes my day. Like my day is made. My day is just made. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to know how to make my day, that's how. Can I can I make a, a comment about that? Please do not go to Delay Don't Deny on Amazon and leave a one-star review and say it's because your book was pirated. Did you oh. know that that has happened? happened to, like people have done that. They've gone and left a one-star review and they're like, this is not the think, real book. Oh, don't I got do a that, fake guys. one. Don't do that. And, don't do that. Please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that does not help. <laughs> and the only way they know it's pirated is obviously because they're part of my community because I, you know, it's only, they're trying to help, but instead it's giving me a one-star review, which is lowering my overall review. And of course, you know, I don't read reviews, so I would never have known that except my husband is on the case and he's like, look, and I'm like, stop, that makes me sick. I don't want to see it. It makes me queasy. So you can edit reviews. So if you did that, um, Go go back and change it to five stars, but you can say you could say it's pirated. That's totally fine. Please do. I accidentally got a pirated copy, but they're fixed now. So <laughs> the the thing is, you're not going to get a pirated copy now. They have all been destroyed. And if you did get one, I still haven't heard from Amazon what they're going to do about it. But they have allowed people so far to call them and say, "I got a pirated copy, and um, I would like." a refund and they are not even making people send it back they're just issuing you a refund then you can go in in a separate transaction and buy a real copy don't try to do an exchange but just on in a separate transaction buy it buy a new copy but they have just people aren't even having to send them back they don't want them back all right well any other thoughts from you jen before we go no i think that's it great episode and i enjoyed chatting with you as always likewise i'm also this is just a teaser I'm super excited about our next episode. Guys, oh, yeah. get excited. It's a fun topic. I already teased about it in the group a little bit. Did You You saw that someone was talking about the, the topic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they were talking about it. And I was like, guess what? But someone else brought it up. So this is clearly something that's on people's minds. It's a fun topic. Get excited, guys, for next week. Awesome. All righty. Well, I will talk to you next week. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.